Welcome to another episode of the Augmented podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind the new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. Technology is changing rapidly. What's next in the digital factory? Who is leading the change? And what are the key skills to learn and how to stay up to date on manufacturing and industry 4.0? In episode 61 of the podcast, the topic is the digital journey of a flower wholesaler. Our guest is Andy Burton, Managing Director at Double H Nurseries LTD. In this conversation, we talk about the experience implementing the Tulip Digital App in the midst of COVID-19 lockdown in the busiest flower season to try to save his flowers and turn on e-commerce without spending a fortune in time and resources and without deep digital skills in his workforce. Augmented is a podcast for industrial leaders, process engineers, and shop floor operators hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip. Andy, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you, yeah. It's so exciting to have you on the on the show. It's not every day I get to talk about flowers in my podcasts, and uh, this should be fun conversation. So you're all into flowers, Andy? Yeah, we are. Yeah, that's what we do. We grow flowering houseplants. I like it. How did you get into that? It's actually a, a business which was set up by my grandfather 60 years ago, since our 60th uh, anniversary this year. I joined the business uh, about five years ago, having uh, worked in, in uh, management consultancy before that. So a bit of a change in terms of subject matter, but joined the business as the operations manager here. Um, and then I actually took over the, the business start of this year. So I'm now the managing director. So Andy, did you always have in mind that you were going to take over the business? Because I noticed you went to the University of Bath studying aerospace engineering. I, I don't know much about flowers and I've heard about growing flowers in space, which I imagine could be a challenge. But I mean, did you put the two and two together or what happened here? No, it wasn't planned that far in advance. No, I, I didn't really always always plan to join the business. As these things often happen, it was a bit of a right time, right place opportunity. There's a piece of work that, that needed to be done here. I was looking to kind of have a bit of a change and finish management consulting, partly because of the sort of lifestyle and wanted to do less travel. So um, things kind of came together at the right time, came down here to do a project for a few months and never left, basically. Well, we'll get into the meat of it, but, uh, but essentially working on engines at Rolls-Royce and, and being a senior consultant at Deloitte. At face value, it seems different, but I guess as we get into a little bit the sort of the the challenge that you suddenly were faced with here, you know, supply chains and all kinds of things that is belongs to this consulting speak world, it became very real for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how much is transferable. Actually, I guess when you break it down, we are effectively a manufacturing business. We're manufacturing a, a living product. We're growing a plant, but at the end of the day, we've got a process. And we've got to make that process efficient and it's got to deliver the right level of quality. It's all about the same as if you're manufacturing any other any other product, really. So, yeah, it's quite transferable. Tell me a little bit about Double H and, and the role you have in the UK. I understand you are among the larger UK flower wholesalers. LinkedIn tells me you have 175 employees. I don't know if that's accurate. Give me a sense of what the what your business is, with the position you have in the marketplace, and the, and also what exactly does a wholesaler do? Because I think it varies a little bit in the US and in the UK. 
Okay, so in the UK, what we do is we we grow flowering house plants, so indoor plants, which uh, people will go to the supermarket and they'll buy and they'll put in their on their desk at home, or they'll put in their kitchen or their bathroom. So we we grow those plants here. We have a nursery, you know, large glass houses where we grow those plants, and then what we do is we we package those plants. So we might put them into a, a ceramic pot or a piece of glassware or something like that to make it into a kind of a gift product. And then we sell those products to supermarkets. Our customers are the supermarkets, so the big supermarkets in the UK. And then they obviously then sell them on as, you know, in their retail outlets to consumers. So in terms of the UK market, we are, as you said, we're one of the big suppliers of houseplants. We supply around about 7 million plants a year into the UK market. And we've got about 230 employees here at Double H now. So I don't know if this you're the right person for this, but I'm a hobby uh, gardener myself. I have some irises and even some Asian lilies, actually, and, and some dahlia, which are a little troublesome in the New England area because they have to come in and it's going to be my first season. What is some advice to gardeners, hobbyist gardeners who want to go exotic and, and try to play the business that you are playing? It's certainly fun, but I have noticed that, you know, I planted some of them a little late, you know, in the middle of summer. It got really dry. Some of my fairly expensive lilies coming from Holland, they haven't come up. So I'm experiencing some mixed results. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I think it's probably patience, which is required, and a willingness for trial and error. You know, I, I guess there's, there's always science to it, but actually it depends on, on so many different factors, where you are, what, you're, what the weather's like, what, you, what conditions you're growing them in, where the plants have come from. There's so many different factors that go into producing consistent and quality results. That, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say exactly what you need to do, but have patience and kind of enjoy the trial and error. You know, we've had 60 years of experience here at the nursery growing houseplants, so we're getting pretty good at it now, actually. But it's, uh, you know, there's still things that we learn every year, every season that goes through. No, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, as a hobby gardener, the part of it is the is the fun, right? You try to yeah, introduce exactly. a new plant and you take a look and you see what happens. And then, you know, certainly the conditions change or, you know, you get busy, you know, you travel and, the, and your plants die. So anyway, I just thought I'd bring that in. Anyway, bring us back to the start of the trouble, Sandy. Bring us back to the UK a year and a half ago, looming lockdowns, COVID-19, things we don't want to think about. What happened to your business and what was going through your head? Had you already sort of taken over the helm or were you still operations manager at Double H at that point? Yeah, I was still operations manager at that point. We have two big seasonal peaks in the UK for our business. One is Christmas and one is Mother's Day. Mother's Day in the UK last year was uh, in the middle of March. So we're going full steam ahead, getting ready for our biggest, busiest week of the year. In fact, it was our biggest uh, Mother's Day ever. We were literally sort of full capacity. How many plants did you have in the, in the nursery at that point? Yeah, it's a good question. We probably had two million plants in the nursery at various stages of the kind of production cycle. So it's a huge amount of whip inventory um, going through the process. We were flat out getting a lot of those plants packed and ready to dispatch to the supermarkets, ready for people to buy and, and give to their mothers. That was really as things were, were hotting up in terms of COVID, unfortunately. Literally the day after Mother's Day in the UK, we went into our first full lockdown. So we went from our busiest week ever in the history of the company to demand kind of going off a cliff overnight. And, and the following week, we had sort of 10 or 20% of the demand that we should usually usually have at that time of year. 
So, yeah, major problem. <laughs> major problem. So, right. So, when a business experiences major problems, uh, when you're the operations manager, that's sort of on you. What went through your mind, you know, on oh, no, a crisis, or did you go into sort of consulting mode thinking, you know, where is the problem here? Let me break it down. And then what did you decide to do? Yeah, fortunately, it wasn't all on my uh, shoulders. It was definitely a team effort. We had our. Uh, you know, our commercial manager working with our customers to try and understand what they were going to do, what, what was going to happen in terms of actual consumer demand in their stores. We had people working with the logistics companies to work out how we were going to get space in the trucks because suddenly food was being prioritized to get to the supermarkets instead of effectively a kind of luxury item like a plant. So we, um, you know, we had lots of different people. We had our technical team looking at you know, different scenarios in terms of how we would look after plants if our workforce was significantly reduced. I guess you know, from my perspective, obviously within the operations team is the biggest team in terms of number of people. So we clearly had to think very quickly about people. You know, what were we going to ask people to do? How are we going to keep people safe? How are we going to you know, make sure that we weren't putting anyone at risk by asking them to come into work? So there was a huge amount going on. And I think, you know, one of the conversations that really sticks in my mind was when we were talking about different scenarios. One of them was what happens if we just have to leave the nursery? Everyone just has to go home and we literally have to leave plants to die in the nursery. That's a shocking uh, kind of scenario to be thinking about as a leadership team in the business. That would have been the absolute worst scenario. But then you came up with some solutions and walk me through some of the thinking because you, you started then thinking, let's try to do things differently. Let's come up with, with a way to, to solve this immediate problem. So you had this enormous inventory. You had you know almost 2 million plants, which you know I can't even imagine because it's actually a third of your yearly inventory and you had it all on hand at the worst week possible. So what did you then end up doing? We started thinking about options, as you said. We were coming up with all sorts of, looking back on it now, there were some fairly ridiculous ideas, including just putting plants out on the road and, and sort of <laughs> getting people to buy them as they drove past, which obviously in hindsight would have not had much impact. So we were sort of bouncing ideas around. One of the ideas that came up was e-commerce, which is something that we'd never done before. We'd never done a direct-to-consumer route or channel. We've always been a wholesaler, so we've always supplied retailers for them to sell on to consumers. So obviously e-commerce isn't a new thing, but it was a completely new thing for us. And we decided that we should go for it and that that, that would be the idea that we would pursue to see if we could get any demand through that channel. So you made that decision to go for e-commerce. And as you said, you know, it's not rocket science to do e-commerce anymore. There are a number of fairly established platforms in the UK market that provide it the largest of which is Shopify, but there's WooCommerce, you know, Magento, there's a plethora of platforms. But your choice was kind of interesting. What did you end up doing? Because all of these obviously have an upstart cost, they have some implementation costs, and you would have to change your business. Now, in your case, because you didn't have a consumer-facing business, that's pretty obvious. You had to figure out how to relate to individual consumers. So initially, you sort of just went with one of the off-the-shelf solutions for a little second here. Is that what happened? Yeah, we still do use Shopify. So we already had effectively a kind of a brand called Love Orchids, which we had used in for the last few years as a sort of consumer-facing information source. So a bit of information for people about how to look after their orchids and things like that. So we already actually had that as a sort of, you might call it a brand, but we'd never, done, we'd never sold anything through that. 
So what we did was we, we used that name. We used the Love Orchids brand. It's a bit more consumer friendly than sort of Double H Nurseries. So we set up a Shopify site using just a free trial in Shopify. Didn't really know what we were doing. Got it going pretty quick, which is, I guess, you know, the beauty of platforms like that. You can really get them going very fast. So we set up the Shopify platform as a way of capturing orders from, from consumers. But then the next problem was how do we process those orders? How do we fulfill those orders? How do we integrate with carriers so that we can print off shipping labels? How do we integrate with our ERP system so that we can consume inventory? All of these kind of operational fulfillment problems suddenly came to light, which in hindsight, we, well, we didn't really have time to think about them before we launched. We just had to sort of get going because plants don't last forever. But it's fascinating to me that at face value, you know, you sort of think, oh, e-commerce, that's easy. You have a website, you have a provider, you can take payment and then you're done. But of course, <laughs> that's like what? 10%, 5% of the problem? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And, and I think it's okay. You know, I remember really clearly the first day we turned on the, um, the Shopify system. You know, obviously we all kind of sent the link around to all our friends and family and, uh, you know, thought we were onto something. So we got, I think on the first day we had about 10 orders or something. So, all right, so that's good. You're happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were really happy and we sort of thought, yeah, this is no problem. We'll just go on Shopify. We'll just print out the information. We'll print out the orders. You know, we'll print out some shipping labels and then we'll just put them in boxes and we'll actually just take them down to the, um, the courier collection point. And, uh, and that, that was fine. And we sort of thought, okay, this isn't going to be too bad. But then really quickly, it gets unmanageable. 10 orders is okay. But then, you know, suddenly when you get 100 orders or when you get 500 orders in a day, suddenly actually, you know, it's just, it's just completely unmanageable and it just becomes an absolute monster in terms of paper-based processes, actually. It must have been a change for you, right? So if you go from the world of wholesale, which I imagine, I, I don't know what the minimum order is in a week from even one retail outlet, you know, a supermarket, but it certainly isn't even 10, right? I mean, it's more like 500 or 1,000 of something. Well, yeah, exactly. Our kind of, our, our sort of unit of measure goes from full pallets down to sort of individual plants. We went from kind of having five customers to having 500 customers. And suddenly, you know, those 500 customers, suddenly they wanted to ask us questions and they wanted to ask us where their order was. And they wanted to ask us if they could have a pink flower instead of a yellow flower. And suddenly the, all these things that we just never had to deal with before were just suddenly kind of real things that actually we needed to find a way of dealing with. All right, so now is when you really scratch your head. What, what, what happens then? Because you have this out-of-the-box free trial thing and you're oh. actually getting traction. So it's everybody's dream. You know, your business is taking off. And what do you do? I mean, this is, this is kind of classic. It's sort of like the best case scenario of growing pains, but you have to resolve it. What did you end up doing with that? It was after a few days or weeks of us sitting in here manually printing out labels and having literally hundreds of bits of paper everywhere and having to manually put stuff into our ERP system that we started thinking, right, you know, this, if we're going to do this seriously, then we need to get some help. So we, we did look around. We looked around at various off-the-shelf e-commerce fulfillment platforms um, and sort of shipper courier kind of integrators. We looked at various different systems. We talked to a few different providers and to be honest, at the time, there's two things really that kind of kept coming up. One was, I guess, like everything, you know, there are elements to our process and our product which are a bit unique. And it was quite hard to find a, well, it, was, it was difficult to find a solution which actually ticked all the boxes. And we found we were going to have to kind of change our process or change our product to fit with a bit of software, which wasn't really what we, we kind of wanted to do at that time. 
So there was that that sort of element, and then the other element was cost. And you know, effectively, we were doing this whole e-commerce enterprise as a sort of a way to reduce waste and reduce cost, and we were selling stuff at you know a very low margin just to actually avoid it going in the bin. So we didn't have a huge amount of margin to play with at the time. So we were a bit reluctant, and we didn't really know what was going to happen. We didn't know if it was going to last for a month, two months, a year, ten years. So we were quite reluctant at the time to kind of go out and buy a big system or buy a big package. So exploring other options, that's when I picked up the phone to Eddie, who uh, is um, an old friend of mine who, who now works at Tulip, and um, talked through the challenge. And I think one of the challenges we were really having was how do we build a system or how do we find a system that can actually integrate into our existing systems and also have an interface with people on the shop floor. We needed a really simple system for the shop floor to use that they could process orders. It would allow them to work quickly, but also accurately. But in the back end, there was, it was all you know, talking to our other systems and, and integrating with different things to get the data in the right place. So we talked about Tulip as an option. And that's, I guess, from there where we started exploring, again, on free trial, exploring kind of whether that would be an option. So now you're talking about a system, which I guess also the flower business would be a, a new use case for that system. So that, that's interesting. So give me a sense of what that process turned into then. How did you end up using Tulip with Shopify to digitize your process? We, at our end, we probably had two or three people kind of involved in this project from a, from a sort of fulfillment and system side. And were they software programmers or are they more kind of... No, we don't have any developers in-house. You know, we have people that know what they do in terms of configuring our ERP system and things like that, but we don't have any actual programmers or developers here. So they're IT literate, definitely. They're familiar with our systems and they're familiar with data, but they're, they're not programmers. So we had probably one of those and then myself and then someone else who's, who's more involved in the kind of, I guess, the business process working together on the project. And I think really we, we started off by just mapping out the process. So we just, on a whiteboard, just thought about how the information needs to flow through. So from when we get that order from a customer in Shopify, where does that information need to go to? How does that then feed the right data into our ERP system to consume the inventory? How do we talk to, we were using FedEx at the time, so how do we talk to FedEx and get a shipping label from them? How do we then process that order and then feed the information back into Shopify so that Shopify can then communicate with our customer and say, you know, your order's been dispatched, here's the tracking number. All of those different sort of integrations and also obviously the physical interface with the person on the shop floor. What do they need to be able to do? What happens if there's an exception? What happens if something goes wrong and, and, and they can't pack that order? What do they need to do? How do we manage those exceptions in a really kind of low admin way? So we mapped all that out and then started to think about our existing systems. So we, obviously by then we had Shopify, we have a SAP system as our ERP system, and started to think about you know what part do they play in this? And then really the gap was basically where we needed to build an app in Tulip, sort of fill that gap. And when you say build an app in Tulip, what did that mean to you? Because to some people, right, building an app is also advanced software manipulation. When you say build an app, what did that entail? Yeah, I mean, very little programming. We did, we did have to do a little bit of work, a bit more technical work with our interfaces, with FedEx, for example. So this kind of API interface. But the actual app design is like building a slide in PowerPoint. You kind of just drag stuff around, make the interfaces, make the flows, build the logic all in the interface in Tulip is if this happens, then do this. And it, yeah, I guess we were a bit sceptical at the start. Our systems guy was sort of saying, oh, you know, I can't learn a language to build this. We've got too much to do. But with a bit of help and a, a bit of support from the Tulip team, we got stuck in and uh, 
probably as always, you know, the first try wasn't perfect. <laughs> and since then, we've evolved it and we've refined our apps and our design and the back end as well a few times to just make it more streamlined, make it, make it quicker and all those sorts of things. But there's no programming involved. And how long would you say it took from the point you contacted Eddie and then to you have mapped it up until you actually could start processing some orders and, and you essentially had a basic system running? You had some apps that handled your basic logistical challenges. Yeah, it was, I can't remember exactly, but it was weeks as opposed to months. So yeah, it was pretty quick in terms of software. And generally, what what would you say your costs were? Because you said there was a free trial and it certainly was a different cost structure than it would have been with traditional sort of implementation of a massive system where you would sort of say, I I know I'm going to have this kind of demand and we're installing this system for years and years to come. You, You said you didn't have that. So the costs were also radically different. Yeah, I mean, the cost at the start was was just our time, really. So we just had to invest a bit of our time into into sort of trialing it and building it. Then obviously the licenses kick in, but it's, you know, one of the kind of attractions of software as a service, a kind of license-based model is that it's completely scalable. So, you know, we start off really small and we weren't committing tens of thousands of pounds a year for subscriptions or, or buying software. It was, you know, okay, let's just start with a few licenses. And as we grow, if we grow, hopefully we will grow in that area and, and, and we can add on more licenses as, as we go. So, yeah, I mean, that for me is, is a really attractive proposition in terms of that type of software, as opposed to having to have a big outlay, big sort of effectively capital outlay at the start to get that system when, as I said, we weren't really sure where it was going to go. So it was hard to build a business case for a big investment. So Andy, where did it go? Give me a sense. After a while, so you were there with your 2 million plants and they were going to rot on the vine, as it were. But that didn't happen. Fortunately not, yeah. So it really got going for us. So we were fortunate to have a fair bit of positive PR. So we got a bit of coverage in some of the local and also national media um, in the UK about what we were doing, which was great. And that really kick-started what we were doing. So, you know, in the first couple of months, we probably sold 40,000 plants online, which, you know, is a lot for a new e-commerce business. It was, a you know, a lot of business going through there. And effectively, all of those plants would have gone in the bin, gone on the compost heap if we hadn't done that. In parallel to that, obviously, the supermarkets did stay open and the demand gradually picked back up from that real low point at the end of March. It gradually picked up. But actually, the the kind of e-commerce channel was a great way to sort of fill some of that gap as the demand kind of slowly came back up over the sort of two or three months last summer. So, yeah, it's been really good. Since then, we've continued with the e-commerce channel, continued to grow it. We've redeveloped the actual website. We've rebranded it. As I said, we've refined the Tulip app. And, yeah, it's still going strong. We're using it every day. We've fulfilled tens of thousands of orders through the Tulip app now. And I think what it's also done is really accelerated our learning in terms of e-commerce to the point where actually now we're starting to fulfill e-commerce orders for some of our wholesale customers. So some of our supermarket customers, they actually take orders on their websites for plants and then those orders come to us and we fulfill them. So again, we'll be doing that with our Tulip app on the shop floor. That's fascinating. I mean, that's a completely new business model again, I guess, right? Going via the consumer channel and then back into the wholesaler, but now as an e-commerce player. It's interesting. It is completely different. It's something that I don't think probably, you know, before the start of last year, we don't, I don't think we would have considered ourselves to be kind of ready to do that or even, you know, probably knowing where to start to kind of be ready to do that. So, yeah, it's really accelerated our learning in that area, given us credibility to go to those customers and say, yeah, actually, we can do that. And we can do that very well, and very efficiently 
very accurately, which is which is a key for them in terms of pick accuracy. So, Andy, you talked about the media. I, I think there's a story out from last year where you said that you rapidly moved 50% of your business online. That was a, a staggering number. Has that number stayed that way? Or would you say now that your business is kind of back to pre-pandemic levels and the online component, even if it is successful, is it still at 50%? No, it's not at 50% anymore. But that's, as you say, that's because of the other channels have, have recovered. In fact, actually, the other channels are seeing very strong demand, I think. House plants in general have seen a sort of you know spike in demand over COVID with people working from home and wanting to have a plant on their desk at home. So those retail channels have actually recovered very well, which has meant that the proportion of our business, which is e-commerce, has shrunk back down. But the absolute number has grown. So we're doing you know we are selling more plants online now than we were. But it's interesting this new business line that you are going into. I mean, that's potentially massive, right? If you start to get market share in the kind of e-commerce provision or taking some part of the process, I mean, walk me through this. This would be uh, supermarkets that are saying we want the fulfillment, yeah. so like fulfillment by double H essentially, and you would you would carry out the entire process. Absolutely, yeah. So we'd, we'd carry out the whole sort of supply chain and, and kind of operations process for them. So they would do the marketing, they would, you know, they'd have the website, they'd maintain the website, their customer would go onto their website and place an order. And then everything else from there on really until that plant arrives with that customer is down to us. We're well placed to do that because we know what we're doing in terms of handling plants and growing plants. It's much better for us to send the plant directly from the nursery to the consumer rather than it going in a truck to a warehouse, sitting in the dark for a few days, and then going in a box and then going out to the customer. And that's not great for a plant. So we're actually able to take a plant from our glass house, put it in a box, put it into the courier network, and it gets delivered to that customer the next day, which is absolutely fantastic from a kind of customer experience and plant freshness perspective. And if we can do that efficiently, and therefore it's competitive in terms of cost, then actually it's a really compelling offer for those kind of supermarket customers. I'm just curious. So you're a big player in the UK. What, what's to stop you from going international? Have you even thought about that? We haven't really. We've always focused on the UK market. The UK market's pretty big. So at the moment, it's kind of keeping us busy. We are one of the biggest growers remaining in the UK in terms of indoor house plants. So a lot of our competitors are actually importing plants. So overall, there's a net sort of import um, of house plants into the UK. So actually, there's plenty of demand to keep our nursery full of plants and keep us busy. So at the moment, no, we haven't, or historically, we haven't needed to look at kind of international or look at export. So if I were to try to order plants from you from I Love Orchids or something, I, I couldn't ship it to America right now? Hopefully, it wouldn't let you. Yeah, <laughs> we've got our settings there correct, and hopefully it would stop you doing that. It would be uh, challenging to get plants, flowering plants especially, to survive in a box for that long as well. Yeah, I'm, my experience is just I buy a lot of plants from Holland, as I said, from the Netherlands, but they're not usually flowering plants, right? Yeah. They're on the root, bare root, or they're bulbs. Yeah, that's much easier to transport, and you know they're happy to be in the dark for a few days. So as we come into the tail end here, I would just wanted to ask you a little bit about the future. So a lot of things have happened during COVID, presumably changing consumption patterns, at least in the interim. What do you think is going to happen to the flower business more generally? I mean, you know, weddings are at some point going to have to be back on. You said the demand for plants has shifted a little bit. You know, if you work from home, 
you still want some plants. You know, you may not have an employer buying your plants, but you want to have some plants in your home environment. Where do you see the flower business going more generally? And maybe if you could touch upon this other aspect of if e-commerce sort of changes into you know, these uh, shopping outlets being more retail windows as opposed to actually mm. having the plants. I mean, certainly for plants, that would be an advantage. It's nice to see what you're actually buying. So you can go into whether it is a supermarket or something else. But if you're really buying something for an event and you really need it to be of reliable quality, do you think the future of fulfillment for natural living products is that they will be more and more bought online because consumers and wholesalers also will realize that there's a difference from getting it, you know, because time to consumer is is very, very important for flowering plants. And I'm sure there are other products as well where, where this relationship is pretty basic. It is important, but I think lots of industries have probably been through the same. I think horticulture and kind of plants and, and flowering plants is a bit behind the curve in terms of the, uh, the move to online. I wouldn't be surprised if Probably five or ten years ago, people were having similar conversations about, you know, will anyone ever buy groceries online or will anyone buy clothes online where you don't know if you're going to fit them or you can't feel the, the material and see if it's, you know, see if you like it online. It's, you know, you wouldn't even think twice about ordering groceries or, uh, or lots of people anyway wouldn't think twice about ordering groceries online every week or ordering clothes or shoes or whatever it is online. And I think actually it's just we're just going through that, that curve slightly behind some other industries. So yes, I think e-commerce will continue to grow and, uh, and expand in terms of horticulture. I think cut flowers is probably ahead of where plants are. People have adopted buying cut flowers online and getting them delivered to their friends and relatives. And I think plants is following that same kind of trajectory. I think as people become more confident in quality or, or they, I guess, you know, like anything, brands need to build up a reputation so that there'll be some brands that deliver quality. And people will look at those reviews and they'll build confidence and they'll be happy to buy a plant, knowing that it's going to turn up in one piece. It's not just going to be a sort of a dead stick when it arrives. And that does take time building that kind of consumer confidence. But I think your point is right as well about kind of multi-channel. And I think there will still be a place for traditional sort of retail outlets or, like you say, the kind of retail windows, the sort of click and collect type models where people can go and they can actually see the product and they can get a sense of the quality and they can get a bit of a sense of how that's going to fit into their living room or whatever. I think there will still be a place for that channel for quite a while. And then I think, you know, further on, something else that we've been talking about, things like augmented reality, let's give people an opportunity to see what that plant will look like in the corner of their room or see what it will look like on their desk or see what it will look like with a different colour ceramic pot. And actually give them that experience, but doing that with technology and doing that in a digital way, I think will actually really help kind of, again, with that consumer confidence and, and that slight nudge to purchase that, that plant. Fascinating, Andy. Last thing, what are you the most excited about when it comes to, you know, next developments for you and your business? Is it e-commerce uh, online fulfillment or do you have even other things on the horizon? <laughs> We've got a few different things on the, on, in the pipeline. E-commerce is, is, a big, is a big part of it for us, not just because of the opportunity to grow the business, but I think the opportunity to kind of use technology internally and also, like I just said, with kind of consumer experience as well. But using technology, whether that's robotics or artificial intelligence or vision systems, things like that, to actually you know, keep on improving the process here, keep on uh, making ourselves more efficient. Labor is becoming more and more expensive. 
and harder and harder to get good quality labour. So, you know, the more we can do to actually um, use robotics and reduce our reliance on labour, you know, the better we're going to be in terms of staying competitive and being able to actually grow and keep up with the demand. So there's a huge amount of exciting stuff in the pipeline. And yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Well, it's fascinating, you know, when traditional businesses start to innovate, if you have good people behind, there's really no limit. So it'll be interesting to see how your business evolves. I guess there's no stopping you from implementing augmentation and automation across the board. So I'll check in with you in five years and we'll see <laughs> we'll see what the situation is. Excellent. Yeah, look forward to it. Fantastic. Andy, thanks so much for sharing what's happening with your business. Great. Thanks. You have just listened to episode 61 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was the digital journey of a flower wholesaler, and our guest was Andy Burton, Managing Director at Double H Nurseries LTD. In this conversation, we talked about the experience implementing the Tulip digital app to turn on e-commerce. My takeaway is that frontline operations is about so much more than technology, but getting technology right is often about picking the right technology for the skill set of your workforce. Implementing tech must be followed up by a complete tie-in with all of your business processes. Otherwise, you enable speed in one part of the process and backlog in another. No-code apps make this easier, but not self-evident. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 45, The Startup Studio for Manufacturing, or episode 36, Digital Lean, or episode 21, The Future of Digital in Manufacturing. Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. If so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip connected frontline operations platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring. You can find Tulip at tulip.co. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry and especially industrial tech is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter.